This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.omf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. Thanks to Brian Redmond and all his guests for the last two hours and a big welcome to him as he joins the Saturday morning team on KCLR. Great to hear the Taoiseach, the Taunish, the Phil Hogan, Julian Benson even and Ryan Andrews all up at this early time. Our guests this morning on The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business. Well, we'll hear about the growing success of Callan Neighbour Food and talk to Eton Hula of Fennelly's in Bridge Street, Callan. Inspiring excellence, we talk training your mind for tough times with executive coach Shane O'Sullivan. What impact will COVID, COVID, oh I can't even say it at this stage, have on the property market? Well, Charlie McDermott of Sherry Fitzgerald McDermott will give us his take and we hear about how the pandemic has led one local woman expanding her antiques business into a new small business where making face masks. But first on the programme, and hopefully I've pressed the right, the right buttons, buttons, I'm, I'm joined, joined by, by Alan, Alan Siri, Siri of O'Neill Foley, Foley to, talk to talk about, about some, some of the, of the uh, issues. Uh, issues. So, so I understand, understand we're, having we're having feedback, feedback and, and issues, issues. So, so I might so take you on the phone, phone Alan. 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 Morning, John. How are you? Very well, thanks. And yourself? Good, thanks. Um, I tried without success uh, to get you there on uh, Zoom or one of those things, but luckily we had a backup on the phone, uh, the technology uh, getting the better of me this morning. But, Alan, um, uh, the pandemic continues uh, and so on, but it's a bright weekend and we're here to talk business issues. We're going to... Uh, Woody's caught your eye during the week uh, and they've got a good business story showing that not every business sector has uh, suffered during the pandemic. Yes, John, the Grafton Group which owns uh, Woody's and also Chadwick's, uh, the Building Materials Suppliers Group, uh, they announced their profits this year, so... Uh, as would be expected, the profits dipped from last year. But what was interesting was that um, I think the Woody's uh, stores closed for probably about six or eight weeks, but when they reopened, their sales rebounded to such an extent um, that they repaid the government wage subsidy, and the amount of the subsidy was £2.5 million. So I suppose that's, for me, showed two things. One is, the, I suppose, the amount of spend we all did in, in uh, hardware stores once the lockdowns restrictions started to ease. And secondly, the, the, the sheer scale of the, the, the temporary subsidy scheme support that was and is being provided by the government. Uh, so for one organisation to receive 2.5 million of that level of support shows you how, how broad-based and how expensive it is. Yeah, and uh, another thing, it's I suppose you could say they've had a V-shaped uh, recession in as much as they fell, but they bounced back up when they got open. Not, not every business sector as fortunate as that. No, no, I and mean, we, we've heard various acronyms for, you know, the, the type of recovery, K-shaped and V-shaped and Z-shaped and so on. So, like, I mean, different businesses will react, uh, will, will recover differently. Some won't unfortunately recover at all, and other businesses will recover quite quickly, as we've seen with um, Chadwick's yeah. and Woody's. 
Yeah, now looking back over the past week, uh, Woody's is one thing, but I suppose the story dominating all the headlines, be they business, uh, be they general, be they politics, was the whole Phil Hogan uh, thing. Like, there's no question he didn't abide by the COVID restrictions, but he's lost his job and at a crucial time for uh, Europe and indeed for Ireland. A lot of trade talks ongoing and so on. Just give us the context of what lies ahead before we comment on, on his departure. Yeah, well, I suppose what was probably not commented on that much, John, in the Irish press was that uh, Phil Hogan was instrumental in um, negotiating an EU-US trade deal on tariffs. So uh, the actual goods covered by the tariff deal weren't significant. But what was, what was interesting was it was actually the first deal in 20 years with the US that gave rise to a tariff reduction. Um, and as we know from Donald Trump uh, slapping tariffs left, right and centre around the world, it was very much against the grain of of, um, uh, of that to actually negotiate a tariff deal with the US. And I gathered uh, from the Financial Times and other, other places like that that um, he had a very good working relationship with Robert Lighthizer, if you can say the word correctly. Um, so it's a real pity for, at an EU level and also consequentially from an Irish level, um, you know, when we're a very open economy, that um, somebody as influential as Phil has, um, Phil Hogan has, um, you know, been removed from the pitch, so to speak. Yeah, a um, lot of talk about Brexit in it as well, but surely he would have had not much of a role in Brexit, some people would say. That been handled by Michel Barnier, or, in your view, had he a role to play in the whole Brexit thing, which is coming down the track very quickly and very negatively? Well, as a commissioner, the commissioners are to swear an oath of allegiance to the commission, not to a particular nation. But there's no doubt that he was strongly influential in the, you know, the withdrawal agreement in maintaining, um, you know, free trade across the border and effectively getting the border down the RSC rather than, uh, you know, with the six counties. Um, so he was very much, I, I gather, in the background on that, and that's been widely acknowledged uh, throughout Europe. Um, he's also been very, he has, he has also been very influential with trade discussions with, say, the WTO, uh, trying to get that back on board and with China. And, the, you know, if you read international media, he, was, he seems to be very well respected throughout Europe and beyond. Yeah, um, Pat Leahy in, in this morning's Irish Times saying he was an, a significant player on the international stage in one of a small number of Brussels jobs with international clout. Be that as it may, he hit a raw nerve um, with the public and uh, less than a week after... Uh, attending that golf event, he was gone. Um, I heard an ad for the Farmer's Journal saying farmers felt caught in the middle of a political battle. How, in your view, is the wider uh, business community feeling about this? Uh, these events of the past week? Well, I suppose we're, we're not going to regurgitate the rights and wrongs of, of what happened, but, you know, from a go-forward perspective, uh, we're facing the Brexit challenge. Brexit, unfortunately, hasn't gone away to use some other person's parlance. Um, and we also COVID is going to stick around for a while. So we're, we're we've moved in the last two years, three two or three years, from a very good environment where we had an open trade relationship with the EU, um, and that trade was largely conducted conducted through the UK in terms of the delivery of goods and so on. And now our biggest one of our biggest trading partners is outside of the EU with no visibility on a trade agreement, and we also have COVID nineteen, um, and we just probably jettisoned our our our, our man at the table on on that. So. Like none of that is good from an Irish perspective. So we won't see the impact today or tomorrow. I'm afraid that we will see the impact down the line. Do you think um, it'll in any way impact on Ireland's relationship with the EU? Um, or where do we stand in, re- in that? Well, a lot of work has gone in over the last few years in reminding the EU um, 
in the negotiation of, of how important the border is and how important seeing a trade across the border is and how important seeing a trade to, the U- to and through the UK is. So, and I've no doubt that our commissioner, as he then was, uh, uh, was instrumental in that. Uh, we've now given President von der Leyen a, a serious problem. She now has to appoint not only a commissioner and go through the process for that, but through the European Parliament, but also to appoint a commissioner to a particular role. Uh, so whilst we will get a new commissioner in due course, it's not necessarily that, that she or he will get the trade commission. And yeah. it may well be a, a post like statistics, audits and, and fraud or climate action or justice and gender equality. So it could yeah. be any number of posts that they will get. Uh, you, you mentioned the ratification process. How long does that take or do you know? Uh, I don't know exactly, but uh, I, I know from uh, because it has to go to the Euro- European Parliament and because the European Parliament, uh, various parties are quite splintered, the appointment of the current commission actually took a while to do. So it could be a number of months before uh, a new commissioner is actually ratified. And mm. obviously we haven't actually nominated anybody yet either, so the process hasn't even started. OK. Um, moving on, you mentioned um, the the first in 20 years tariff deal with the US. Also interesting to see the relationship between the euro and the dollar. Is that good or bad, uh, the euro strengthening against the dollar? Yes, so when, when the euro strengthens against the dollar, it makes exports to uh, the U.S. Um, less competitive. Um, it also makes imports from the U.S. cheaper. So it makes, you know, take, take it at a local level. You know, when the dollar is strong, it's, it's, it's attractive for U.S. citizens to come to Ireland to go on holidays. When the dollar is weak, it's, it's attractive for Irish citizens to go to U.S. on holidays. Uh, and I suppose we would have seen that back in 2008 when, when the U.S. dollar was 160 at one time against euro. So a lot of people were going to weekend trips to New York and so on to, uh, to do a bit of shopping. So the converse now was that uh, the US dollar is very strong against the euro. So over the last few years, pre-COVID, we, we've seen a large uptick in US visitors to here. Um, th- another interesting aspect of the US dollar uh, relationship is that when the US dollar weakens, commodity prices increase. There's a, what's called an inverse relationship. Um, so, uh, so things like oil would, would now be expected maybe to increase over time, and other commodity prices like coffee and soybeans and things like that. Um, so, like obviously, exchange rates go up and down. Um, we were, I suppose, on the on the good side of it for an ex- from an export point of view. And uh, the dollar was strong, it does seem to be softening a bit now, which um, uh, might bring some challenges uh, to us. Alan, and finally, um, you know, we've discussed with you before on the programme the various support measures um, available to business and, and they've been huge and made a big difference in businesses that I speak to speak in glowing terms of what's been done by the um, government. Uh, briefly, if you will, just give us the main features of the, of the changes coming in from the 31st of August. So the main changes are, John, that uh, there's a new sort of flat rate subsidy scheme coming in. So if, if a, a business is paying an employee between €150 Euro a week and €200 Euro per week, they get a flat rate subsidy of €150 Euro per week for that employee. Um, for up to, from €200 Euro up to about €1,450, Euro, they get a flat rate subsidy of €203 Euro per week. Um, so the conditions around getting that subsidy per week are that they will expect to have a 30% reduction in turnover between July and December this year. Um, and also if you have a tax clearance certificate. Unlike the current temporary wage subsidy scheme, it'll be paid in arrears. So for people who are paying uh, wages weekly, they won't have to get the subsidy until probably um, a month and a half later. So that's a cash flow issue, which I understand has been discussed at the moment. But in high-level terms, it's continuing support for businesses. Some businesses will still be able to avail of it, um, but other businesses will probably say, well, no, we, can't no longer, we can no longer avail of it due to a turnover, not expecting to drop that much. Yeah, so um, uh, an assumption kind of in the in the 
adoption of these things that we would be kind of out of the woods coming up to, towards the end of this year. Um, so maybe that's not to be the case. So watch this space. Watch this space is right, John. Yeah. Okay, Alan Siri, thanks very much uh, for joining us this morning on the programme. That was Alan Siri, accountant, joining us on the bottom line this morning. It's just uh, coming up to 20 minutes past nine o'clock. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on Casey Law. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Coming up on the programme, we're going to talk to an executive coach about training your mind for tough times. With John Purcell, brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie. KCLR, the heart of two counties. John Purcell with you here on KCLR until 10 o'clock on the bottom line, the programme for and about business. Now, getting your head into the correct space is recognised as an essential ingredient of business success. And indeed, these days, many would argue it's an essential uh, part of business survival. Shane O'Sullivan is a Waterford man who's blended a career in sports with a degree in maths and economics and an interest in psychology and what motivates success into a business. And he turned all of that interest and experience into a business that last year saw him coach businesses in 30 different cities across five continents. Now, his business is called Inspiring Excellence and is all about executive coaching. I chatted to him recently and I started by asking him to tell us about his journey and how it all started for him. But it, it all started for me back when I was actually a 13 or 14 year old uh, pupil in De La Salle College in Waterford. So we were asked uh, did we want to go to speak with or listen to Liam Griffin, um, who is a former Wexford hurling manager at the time who'd won the All-Ireland in 1996 with that Wexford team and just have an hour in his presence and obviously we were delighted to go down to the Brandon Hotel in New Ross at the time and listen to him and so we proceeded to listen to him for an hour and we all expected him to talk about the technical skills of hurling and how that was really why they were a great team and why they won in All-Ireland but Liam just kept talking about the power of the mind and the transition and transformation for them was that previously they had not believed they could win in All-Ireland and they hadn't committed to working on the psychological aspects of the performance. So we spoke about visualisation and um, when some of the players were out on the field training, hurling-wise, that he had other players like Billy Byrne to full forward in a room with a sports psychology consultant and actually visualising himself coming on in big games in Pro Park and w- catching the ball and scoring goals he spoke about team bonding he spoke about the ability to set goals and reach those goals and just many different psychological attributes so I just was opened up by him and how he spoke about the difference between a high performance and the also ran was the power of the mind and after I asked him a question I just plucked up the courage and I I was actually captain and I was nearly forced into it by my teacher to go up and thank him for the, uh, the talk when I was thanking him, I asked him, would he recommend a book for me? And he said, uh, The Inner Game of Tennis by Timothy Calloway. And I think that started the journey. Long story short, I've, I've moved into the sports psychology consultancy game and I performed at a high enough level myself in hurling. And I was experimenting for a number of years before I went into the sports psychology game. And that went really well. And business was going very well in that space. And then leaders in businesses started asking, can you come in and talk about the same thing, high performance? the ability to set goals, strategic planning, etc. 
I said I can try, and I went in, and, and everything rolled from there, and all positive. So that brings me to, to where we are today. So basically, you're tr- trying to transfer a winning attitude from sport to business. What are the main uh, takeaways, I suppose, or what are the things that, that you bring to the table in a business? Well, it depends on the individuals, whether you're working with an individual or a team. And, you know, you're focusing on the individual himself or herself and focusing on where they actually want to go. So coaching is all about a vision for the future. So creating a vision for the future of where somebody or an organization wants to go, getting clear on what that is, and then from that vision identifying the current reality. So where does the individual or the business sit right now, today, and getting very clear on what are the challenges and opportunities facing the business. And the coaching process then is about closing that gap. So closing that gap through self-awareness, through team awareness, so understanding what's important now, what are the values of this organization, what do we really need to focus on? How do we develop our employees in these certain skills? And from that self-awareness, then you focus on growth. And that growth would be about targets and objectives, setting goals, setting targets, and holding each other accountable to that. And then the third process in that micro-learning space is reflection and having the space to reflect and say, okay, we've identified a vision of the future, very, very clear on it. We've identified a current reality, we're very clear on that. And then we've identified these goals Have we committed to those goals? Have we achieved those goals? Or do we need to move the dial on it? Do we need to choose something else? And that process can all happen within a week, a day, or maybe six months. And that's what coaching is. It's about closing the gap between the current reality where people sit today, now, in this moment, and getting very real on the challenges there, and then identifying a vision of the future and a pathway to get there, constantly reflecting with space in between. I suppose the position many businesses find themselves in at the moment is the reality is we're in an extremely uh, uncertain world. We don't know nearly from week to week what way the COVID situation is going to unfold. You talk about a clear vision of the future. Um, That can be understandably difficult for business leaders at the moment. What advice would you give them uh, when businesses are kind of saying uh, that I heard them saying we don't even know what's going to happen next week, let alone in six weeks time or six months or a year? Great question, and that's uh, obviously a common challenge for every business leader at the moment, and employees, and obviously people in the world as, as well. And what I would advise is simply looking at what is stable. So a lot of people and a lot of businesses are looking, okay, what's unstable? What's out of my control? We know it's going to be uncertain. We know the environment's going to change. But what's actually stable? What can we identify that's in our control that we can actually focus on and that we can actually remain consistent on in the period between now and maybe next year or for the next two years or maybe today. And those are the real good processes that create that stability um, for businesses to try in the current environment. Simply even with an employee, allowing them to understand that this is the situation here, that your job is going to be stable for six months and then maybe after that there's going to be a review and just being upfront with them, creating that trust building, I suppose, a more positive vision of the future for them. That would be only a simple process. But there's a number of those that we can always commit to in our own organizations and in ourselves. And once we identify what we can control, we can actually control a lot. And in that mindset of controlling a lot, we, re- re- we remain stable and we build that resilience um, that we all need at this current climate. 
I suppose um, to come up with such a clear vision of the future requires uh, confidence, you know, whether you're Liam Griffin or a Brian Cody or somebody who's starting out from a starting point where you haven't won anything for ages. People may be writing you off and you have to say, no, we're going to win. Um, applying that to business is another thing, but it requires a certain single-mindedness uh, and determination. If you're not born that way, what tips can you give people to develop those skills? Yeah, well, look, I mean, if you look at born born that way, I think we're all born into the world with wonderful curiosity and fundamental belief. If you look at your inner child or your childhood self or children in, in society when they're young, they don't have any of these inhibitions. They don't have any of these look for looking for social affirmation. They have just pure, authentic self-expression and confidence. And obviously then through a lot of events that happen in all of our childhoods, we have been challenged to go back to where we originally were. So I, w- I would challenge the fact that are we born that way? And I'd say often we need to go back to where we were in that childhood self where our ability to socially and um, ability to self-express is more powerful than social affirmation. And in that mindset, I think we have a starting point where we can actually look at where we look at developing our confidence from a performance point of, accomplishment point of view. So looking at, I suppose, the ways that we can actually build that confidence incrementally in the current environment. So maybe it's not that we have our best year ever or our best six months ever, but we can start to get clear on our values. We can start to look at what are we like, what is our company like from a purpose and meaning perspective. Are the people coming into our organization, are they motivated or are they actually just going through the motions? Do they want to be here? Are they only here for the paycheck or are they here to make a difference in people's lives? And there's so many different ways that we can actually make incremental positive improvements within an organization that will lead to the bottom line results, um, but purely based on the mindset that, yes, we can actually improve. Yes, we can have a stronger vision of the future. And working hard on that and creating the space necessary to reflect and work in that space. So on a non-business front, it's pretty regular nowadays to people saying, well, actually, the whole COVID and the lockdown and so on have made me appreciate what's important, what I should spend more time on, what I should spend less time on. If I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that that's an opportunity for companies as well. 100%. 100%. I mean, if you look at the history of the past and in the last recession that we have had, and even this, I suppose, challenging time, like there will be more successful businesses that come out of the last six months than there might have been since the last recession in 2008. Like the statistics are there. There will be people in, in the environment that they're living in at the moment that will see this as an opportunity. And from that opportunity, they will move into a better space in their organizations, in their families, and in their lives. Because they've now, like us all, have reflected and stopped. And actually, like if you use the maths analogy, we were all running on a, the x-axis trying to get that next job or that next role or that next paycheck. Whereas now we're actually forced to stand at a point on that x-axis and look around and say, what's really important to me? What's really important in my business? What do I value? What's this all about? What's my vision of the future? And how will I get there? Yeah. And from that opportunity, we can actually go 
and create a better self, a better business and a better organisation. Resilience is a, is a quality that's often pointed to in great sports uh, figures or teams or so on. The ability to pick yourself up after, after a setback or a defeat and go back and focus and win the next match and so on. Resilience increasingly required in business. Some tips from you, Shane, maybe about how people who are finding under pressure or who are feeling themselves on the ropes at the moment, how they can develop that resilience in a business sense. So from the business perspective, it's the same because the business goes back to the individual. The business is only what the people are within it. So if you look from a business perspective and you're looking for advice and resilience, you'd have to go to the science. And what's very interesting is a lot of individuals look or teams look for what's that extra 10% that we can focus on that will actually drive our organization in this new climate. And where the gold is actually at is the bottom 90%. So what are the fundamental principles of resilience? And what are the fundamental scientific principles that businesses and individuals that are resilient are based upon? And that's five simple things. First of all, it's self-awareness. Understanding who you are, who your values, what's your organization, what's your place in the world, what's important to you now. Secondly, then it's sleep. How are my team, how is my, am I myself, how am I recovering, how am I sleeping? The only opportunity we have to fully replenish our mind and our body is in our sleep. Thirdly, it's nutrition. What way am I fueling my body? What way am I actually engaging in, in, in that every single day of the week in healthy habits from an eating point of view? Fourthly, then, you look at social connection. Am I socially connecting with the team and that I'm in? Am I socially connecting with people outside of work in this current environment? And then the last one, obviously, is exercise. So how am I looking after my body? How am I feeling every day from the energy perspective? Am I exercising? Am I getting two or three or four exercise sessions in a week. And we can all look for this extra 10%, but that's the scientific proof. Dr. Elizabeth Stanley, Georgetown University, those five elements are the most potent elements that we can all look at to develop our resilience. And when we stop, create space, and start to reflect on those five elements and get those right, but then we're becoming more resilient and we're becoming more stable and we can start to create the vision of the future we want. Shane, uh, finally, how's it going for yourself? Um, because, you know, in the last year you've travelled a lot, you dealt with companies all over the world, you you know, hugely socially connected, as you'd be saying yourself, but it's a new world we're in. How are you finding it yourself? Yeah, fantastic. So, I mean, for myself personally, I, I, I refuse to be t- the victim in this situation. So I look to be the player and actually take on opportunities that are there now than that they were never there before. So I'm lucky in a sense that I have the ability to work from Zoom and I've run a number of team coaching days throughout the world in different time zones at different times where I can actually use Zoom exactly the same way as you would if you're meeting somebody one-to-one, face-to-face. So from that perspective, I think I'm very grateful for having that capacity. But also, I suppose, in my own uh, world, I see two types of people that I would work with and many of them are actually thriving. And I know... The challenge is there, but many of them are seeing opportunities now that they never saw before. And because of this moment in time, they're creating a better self, uh, a better family person, and a better business from the situation that they're in. But it's purely based on the mindset that they have taken to it. What's in my control? What's important to me now? Where do I see opportunities and moving into that area? And I suppose the big thing for me is space and constantly reflecting on where we can all go um, in this environment. Because when we have that space, we have time to think. When we have time to think, we have time to analyze what's the most important thing now, what's the important, most important next step. 
and look I'm basically very grateful for having the opportunity to use um, an online presence in the midst of this Shane O'Sullivan there giving some very common sense advice on getting uh, yourself into the correct headspace during these difficult COVID times. And if you'd like to find out more about Shane, you can check out his website, inspiringexcellence.ie. After the break, we'll be taking a trip out to Callan and finding out about neighbour food. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie KCLR to be local. Now um, you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business. John Purcell uh, with you. Now since it opened Fennelly's in Callan has garnered rave reviews and won awards including an award which KCLR ran with the Savour Food Festival uh, some years ago for the best breakfast in Kilkenny. Well over the course of the pandemic uh, Fennelly's has also become the hub of Callan Neighbour Food which is an initiative which brings together a wide range of local producers with a lot of eager local customers. So yesterday morning, Friday, rather damp and drizzly morning, I took a trip to Callan where I met Eton Hulan, who runs Fenley's, and I chatted to her about Fenley's and Callan neighbour food. I started by asking her to describe uh, the business in Fenley's and the philosophy behind it. Well, we've been working on Fenley's for about the last 10 years or so. We've We've always kind of thought about it as a keystone uh, spot on Bridge Street. We stand on the shoulders of Margaret Fennelly, who used to have it before we came along. um, And she was a very kind uh, lady with a great welcome. So we wanted to have a place that also had a great welcome and was part of the rejuvenation of our town centre through hospitality, kindness, exchange um, and, uh, and gigs and creativity and that kind of thing. So it was really a spot where you would come, you'd meet new people and like... Um, have have a good time and not know exactly what to expect but uh, you'd always expect a fun time uh, and an interesting time and to meet uh, new people so that's all changed I suppose because of the COVID-19 pandemic Um, and we've had to really kind of rejig and remodel our offering um, which we took our time doing you know um, I'm working with a new chef called Larry Fogg now and the two of us undertook uh, COVID-19 leader training with um, with Leo uh, to really work out our processes and make sure that we could offer um, something really safe Um, we can't uh, kind of bundle everybody in together anymore like we used to but we have like done up our whole like garden courtyard everybody's garden I suppose got a a great overhaul over Covid uh, and that's uh, and our courtyard is no exception Um, but we've placed the stone tables at like um, at social distancing protocol uh, distances from each other Um, so we just want you to know that there's really good food here uh, with that is sustainably um, sourced and locally sourced and ethically sourced uh, all of our ingredients um, and that there's a there's a warm welcome here for you and you can feel safe uh, with us. Uh, and uh, COVID was characterised by social disting, distancing, restricted movements uh, and all of that sort of stuff and the Neighbour Food Project in Callan, actually every cloud has a silver lining but received quite a boost. Tell us about the Neighbour Food concept first. Okay, so Neighbour food is basically um, it's an online platform that small producers can kind of key into um, and have their um, uh, food or their offering on a, on a platform that's online. So you can go online onto the Neighbour Food uh, website and you have a great choice of 
all of these different small producers all in one place. Um, so from the safety of your own home, you can actually um, order from a, an artisan uh, cheesemaker uh, in, in Cashel to like um, beautiful bread that's coming from just around the corner uh, to uh, lovely chutneys from Wildabout to uh, Le Cavo wine from Le Cavo and Kilkenny all in one place. So for COVID, that was really good because uh, I suppose people were limiting their um, uh, excursions uh, out into the world, especially at the beginning of lockdown. Um, so we had just been poised to open the neighbour food market before lockdown and the pandemic came along. So we were quite nicely placed to just kind of open it out really quickly. Um, and uh, and it just it just took off brilliantly. At the height of it, we had, I think, 61 customers. And that's 61 orders that could be like, I don't know, about 30 or 40 different objects within the crate uh, from all different producers. So we had about 61 of those. And we're still going like every Friday, which is Friday today, uh, the producers come and they um, they deliver all of their products. Like they get their order. So um, they deliver the products. We put them into all of the different crates uh, up, uh, with, with all of our hygiene practices and everything like that in place. Um, and then in the afternoon, um, people come and collect them and we stagger the collection points as well. So we're in the camp before the storm so to yeah. speak at the moment as yeah. we're talking it's about 9.15 in the morning um, we're surrounded where we're standing by um, a couple of dozen crates yes. all empty a, a gentleman just dropped by a few minutes ago and left in some eggs that was John Walker from Coolia and his beautiful free range eggs and uh, Ravishi have just um, have just delivered as well and Cashel too so yeah so between now and lunchtime or so you'll be all the suppliers will be delivering then you, you pack up the, the boxes oh here comes someone else yes hi hello how are you doing come on in you can just drop it there for us and this is from Le Caveau is it perfect just pop it in the orange one there oh that's okay I can do it yeah thanks a million Geraldine cheers okay thanks bye yeah, well, we'll keep it real and keep it yeah. keep it live. That was uh, a supply from Le Cavo, yes. who you mentioned earlier. So you just distribute that then around um, all the various boxes and then people call in and collect. Exactly. The producers put the numbers on each individual order and we have our sheets of producer lists and customer lists and we put them all into the different uh, crates uh, so that they're ready for collection when the customers come between four and seven this evening. And so is it just confined to people in Callan or can anybody around County oh, Kilkenny? No. No, uh, Absolutely. Anybody can come and, uh, and be part of it. So it's on the internet, but as we were talking earlier, John, I suppose the internet is moving a little bit towards uh, local internet now as well. So on the neighbour food site, there's a list of all the different markets. So you click on the Callan one, if it's the one that's closest to you that you can uh, collect your order in. Um, and you do your order between Monday and Wednesday and then come and collect it on Friday and you're sent an email with your suggested time slot because we're very aware we don't want there to be any bottleneck of people and we put out like X's on the pathway so that people make sure to socially distance outside um, we're in a kind of an airy courtyard so that we actually have um, a really well ventilated space as well but if you're comfortable wearing a mask you please do wear a mask um, but we will always maintain social distancing as well COVID you know you were telling me earlier that the philosophy behind Fenley's is intimacy and meeting new people and so on COVID is the exact opposite of that how are you feeling about the new reality um, you know having to face into social distancing contact tracing washing your hands with wearing masks and all that sort of stuff well I suppose it has been we've had to make quite a shift in uh, our kind of central how how we approach our central kind of concept so we still have this idea of cross-pollination and of like hoping to gather people together I mean this isn't going to last forever you know but while it is lasting we will 
um, work within the restrictions but that doesn't mean that everything has to stop like life still has to go on and we're really clever people in general humanity is so we can work within like we're problem solvers we can work it within these restrictions uh, I was just talking to a musician yesterday Rob Power and his uh, his um, enthusiasm for like you know the arts and music kind of continuing even under these restrictions is palpable um, it's, it's easy to kind of go oh look nothing's happening and we just have to wait it out but actually it is possible to still have life and to still have experiences and like to still um, to still well thrive but like to, to, to live at least you know under these restrictions and that's what we want to be part of Really positive words there from Eitan Houlihan from Fenley's in Callan and also telling us about the Callan Neighbour Food Initiative and I had a look at their website and some really great stuff uh, going. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on Case Lord John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. And I was actually, just to say, I was surprised at a reaction we got from to an item last week. I spoke to um, Detective uh, Chief Inspector from the Garda National Economic crime unit about the dodgy invoices doing the rounds on the internet and we were actually contacted by two local businesses during the week who had experienced that so just a word to you be very careful when clicking on emails or responding to any of that sort of stuff because i have to say that um speaking to both those businesses they both had quite shocking experiences in relation uh, to that and that's a story that we will continue to keep an eye on and maybe even talk to some businesses uh, to tell you what to look out for in the coming uh, months and how to make sure that you keep safe on the internet when it comes to protecting your business. It's just coming up to 11 minutes away from 12, uh, away from 10 o'clock, I should say. I'm putting myself uh, over uh, the next two hours when Edward Hayden will be joining you, of course, at 10 o'clock and lots to bring you through this lovely uh, Saturday morning. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. The heart of two counties. It's just uh, coming up to uh, nine minutes away from 10 o'clock. John Purcell with you on the bottom line. Now, the fate of the Irish economy has often risen and fallen with the Irish property market. So in this COVID era, I thought it'd be interesting to try and take the temperature of this important business sector for our economy and for the local economy here in Carlow, Kilkenny. So earlier in the week, I chatted with James McDermott of Sherry Fitzgerald McDermott, and I started by asking asking him how COVID has impacted his business. We could break it down into two or three sections. We can go pre-COVID, what was it like? We can go during the lockdown and we can probably pick things up from where we were when the lockdown was lifted in in this current phase and we started back engaging with the public again. First of all, pre-COVID, we rounded the corner into 2020 in a relatively strong position. Um, We haven't seen price increases of any great significance since June 2018. So we're in a section of the market where prices are relatively stable. Demand for what it is seems to be satisfied by the supply that's out there. And we were turning into 2020 relatively confident that we were going to have a a predictable, stable year with a predictable level of, of turnover, a predictable number of transactions. Out of the blue, we hit the lockdown at the end of March 
and truthfully it, it was it was so difficult to know what was going to happen next the initial projection I suppose was look at this will be over in two weeks to a month we will be back to normal and we will continue on from exactly where we had left off that would have coincided with a very very busy period in estate agents um, we would be advising clients and bringing a strong majority of our annual stock to the market in the earlier part of spring summer a lot of that was interrupted a lot of people were i suppose over the phone looking for and we were dispensing advice on when we will come to the market how we will present the property one of the obvious questions that were continuously asked was will there be a massive fall and a lot of people were suggesting that it was going to impact hugely on property values hasn't proven to be the case at all and we'll come back to that in a couple of minutes if you like um when we had the first lockdown lifted, we ended up with a reservoir of stock ready to come to the market. But parallel to that, there was also a reservoir of potential purchasers who had secured loan approval just before or just in the earlier part of the lockdown, keen to engage with the market and keen to secure properties for themselves. So from June and right into the end of July and into the middle of August, we've had a very, very busy two and a half months across the board in Dublin, in provincial towns, in probably every county and every state agency in, in Ireland, truth be known. Getting back to pricing, pricing actually hasn't changed and pricing hasn't been hugely impacted upon. There may well be an, an uncertain period coming towards us and the uncertainty will probably be a reflection of the fall off in supply that invariably will be there and is there and we're beginning to see it already. Construction sites were closed for three months. So that supply chain would have been disrupted. We're meeting a lot of vendors who are deciding that, well, with the uncertainty that's with COVID at the minute, the uncertainty about people's employments and whatnot, let's sit back and let's see what happens and we'll consider selling next year. So we have a palpable fall off in supply and that's reflected across the board, but we probably will have a fall off in demand because those who would have had loan approval have probably spent it or are in the process of spending it. And those who assume they would have it are probably a month or maybe a couple of months downstream from where they expect it to be as a result of the lockdown. So it could well be that we could engage in the next couple of months with lower activity levels but with prices pretty much where they were beforehand and there's no great debate about pricing. Uh, one of the things um, that has characterised COVID is the huge disruption to the norms around the world of work, people working from home and many cases companies deciding that like pretty open-ended perspective on returns to offices as they used to be. What are the kind of impacts, what are the opportunities, what are the downsides from that kind of change do you see? Very good point. Realistically, the office market and when we talk about office markets, we're talking about the Googles and the Apples and the Facebooks and whatnot. They're predominantly based in big city areas. And while they're massive employers, they're drawing people from commuterville into the cities or encouraging people to relocate to the cities to take up these positions. As we all know, an awful lot of people are now working from home or certainly in the earlier phases of the lockdown were forced to work from home. And it probably put on the table a conversation that was beginning to happen but wasn't happening with any great meaning. A lot of people that I know, a lot of people that you probably know, are now working from home and doing so quite successfully. And I think it's resulting at a couple of levels of people questioning the previous or pre-COVID model of working. A lot of the employer is beginning to wonder, do we really need this space? Do we need to be paying premiums in Dublin 4, Dublin 6, Dublin 8? 
a lot of commuters wondering, do we really need to commute? Is it worth it to us? Have we got a better life uh, balance, I suppose, by working from home? It's an interesting stat. In the second quarter releases on office pickup in the Dublin city area, it was the lowest pickup on record. Less than 10,000 square metres of office space was occupied in that period. Not surprisingly, insofar as the majority of people couldn't access the space, even if, if, if they wanted to anyway. But I would imagine with a lot of projects in relation to office space delivery, they tend to be long-term projects. They tend to be two, three-year cycles. I would imagine a lot of those decisions are certainly being deferred, not necessarily cancelled at this stage, but a lot of construction options and a lot of planning applications, I would imagine, would be impacted upon it. And investors, rightly so, probably considering, is there an alternative or is there a better angle at which I can approach this? The flip side for the provinces, we're probably going to see a re-engagement with provincial areas from people who otherwise would have felt obliged to be working in the bigger cities and living in the bigger cities. And it gives them fabulous opportunities. They have cheaper housing. They have access and easier access to what are now quality amenities and services, schools, hospitals, shops, recreational facilities. It could be the beginning of a significant change to the way people in Ireland work. And that's probably not a bad thing. James McDermott there from Sherry Fitzgerald. McDermott talking to us about the property market and the impact that COVID has had. Unfortunately, that's about all we've got time for on the programme. We'll have to hold over a lovely report that Shauna McHugh from the newsroom did on Kathleen Phelan, who's a woman who would be known to some for her antiques store Phelan and Sons in Ballybuck Street. She's into face masks now. Uh, We'll talk to her next week on the programme. That's all we've got time for. Uh, Thanks to all the guests this week. Alan Seary, Shane O'Sullivan, James uh, McDermott and Ethan Houlihan. Thanks to uh, Deirdre Drummy on production support, even though she's on holidays. We'll be back with you next week on The Bottom Line. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at thebottomline at kclor96fm.com. Until then, do take care of yourself. Have a nice weekend and a good week. We'll talk to you next week. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie